Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. If you listen to God's voice and you walk in God's path, you will see God's hand. You will see Him move in the areas of your life that you didn't even think were possible. Is oh, there's no way God could ever make it possible for me to do this, or, or God could never, could never uh, accomplish that in my life. Well, why don't you try it? Well, here we are, a week before Christmas. Have you finished your shopping? You know, in the middle of all the hustle and bustle, it's easy to forget the reason for the season. 2,000 years ago, the angel Gabriel brought an announcement to a young woman named Mary. That announcement changed the world forever because it announced the arrival of God's Son, the one who would bring God's grace to mankind. The announcement of grace shows us that God keeps His promise. I'm Rick Freeman. Hello and welcome to this Christmas edition of Crosswalk. Today, Pastor Clay is picking up where he left off last week in Luke chapter 1. Gabriel's announcement of grace certainly changed Mary's life, but it really changed all of our lives. Last week, Pastor Clay showed us how this announcement revealed that God had a design all along, and His design was not just for Mary's life, but for our lives as well. Well, let's see what else we find today in this announcement of grace. Here's Pastor Clay. It is a message that we call a message of grace. It's particularly significant this time of year, Christmas time. And so it's good that in this, in this season of giving and celebrating, uh, hopefully the birth of Christ is somewhere in the midst of all of our celebrations, that we are looking at these birth announcements in this series looking at the various places in Scripture where the announcement of the coming of the Christ was foretold or was announced, in some cases way in advance and in other cases given at His arrival. This week, we're continuing on a study that we started last week in the announcement of grace, the birth announcement of grace. What does that mean for our lives? We've looked at the announcement of hope in Genesis chapter 3. We've looked at the announcement of peace in Isaiah chapter 9. Today, we're in Luke chapter 1 once again. As we started last week looking at this, didn't get past the first division statement. But that's okay. I had a lot to say about that one. I hope you listened quickly. Uh, Open your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 1. We'll be reading the text again, uh, verses 26 through 38. Maybe a familiar story to you, but in some cases, uh, you know, maybe not. If you didn't grow up in church, maybe the whole uh, Jesus birth thing, you know it's somewhere in there, but you've never actually heard the account. Maybe these are new words to you. Whether you've heard them many, many times in your life or whether you're hearing them for the very first time, I hope that your hearts and minds are engaged in what God has to say today uh, through His Word. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. In other words, Joseph was of the lineage, he was of the line of King David who had lived hundreds and hundreds of years before then. And the virgin's name was Mary. 
And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation, what kind of greeting this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. I wonder if you would read verse 37 out loud with me, please. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold the bondslave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Familiar? Maybe not so familiar. But hopefully by the time we finish this morning, you'll have a a fresh appreciation for this announcement of grace. Now last week, here's what we started with. Here's what we said uh, based on these opening verses here. We said that the announcement of grace shows us that God has the design. And um, if you like to take notes, on the back of your information sheet is an outline. And that first one is filled in for you because we did that last week. The announcement of grace shows us that God has the design. And as we just read in verses 26 through 30 in that opening part uh, there, the the angel comes to Mary, shows up in her room. Uh, She's engaged to this guy named Joseph. We talked about all this stuff last week if you happen to be here. By the way, if you weren't here, you can always go back and listen to our podcast. You can go directly to our website, crossculturelife.org. Click on media and select the sermon that you want to listen to. Or you can sign up and uh, have them download it um, from iTunes. Uh, but you go back and listen to that message where we explained all that background. Uh, he comes in, he says, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. Uh, he comes into the house, he tells her uh, this, this statement. The angel says, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. One of the things that it says to us is that we can see the implications from Gabriel's visit and Gabriel's announcement is that, man, God, God has this design. God, Mary, Mary was going about her life, Mary was doing her things, and as I said last week, it's an exciting time in Mary's life. She's not down, it's not a bad time, uh, life's not easy back in those days, but, but I'm sure she was very excited. She was a young lady, she was... Um, very possibly still a teenager since, since uh, women tend to marry very young back in those days. Very possibly a teenager, but excited about this relationship with Joseph. And I explained about the betrothal and how he's gone off. They've had this formal engagement. Uh, they're legally bound together, but now he's gone off and he's begun to prepare this, this home for them. And she's waiting for that time. It shows us that God has this design for our lives. And I I don't know what it did for you, but it kind of encouraged me last week to just think about the fact that in the midst of all the stuff of my life and sometimes what in the world is going on and I don't know, and uh, God has a design. God 
has a design. And the implication that we drew last week is that God doesn't love Mary, and this is the truth, folks. God doesn't love Mary any more than God loves anybody named Mary out here or anybody named Tom or Clay or any other name out here. God doesn't love Mary any more than he loves every one of us. And while God's design for your life obviously is not going to be to bring the Son of God into the world, he already got that one covered with Mary. But it doesn't mean he doesn't have just as much a design for your life as he had for Mary. That excites me. That just, that excites me to think that I can get up every morning knowing, I may not know what the design is. It may be, God may be revealing it to me. Part of it may be down the road. Almost certainly is still uh, to be revealed parts of it. But the idea that God has designs for my life is very exciting to me. And that's what we discover in this announcement of grace. But the second idea that I want to cover this morning and get into a little bit more is this. The announcement of grace shows us that God keeps his promise. The announcement of grace shows us that God keeps his promises. 31. Watch this now. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall name him Jesus. And he will be great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. God brought that announcement through the prophet Isaiah. Watch me now. 700 years before this this encounter between Gabriel and Mary, okay? 700 years has elapsed from the time Isaiah makes his announcement to Gabriel comes and visits Mary. Now, just to kind of put that in perspective, okay? Because we throw numbers around when we talk about the Bible and we know it's an old book and all this stuff. And, and just to kind of put that in perspective, I think our nation is somewhere around 235 years old, something like that. Either we are 235, we're going to turn 235. It was too confusing for me. Um, This is 700 years when God makes this announcement through the prophet Isaiah to the time Gabriel shows up in Mary's house. Now, uh, let's kind of look at those two in a way, side by side. Let's look at them. Let's start with Isaiah chapter 9. Let's read it again. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on forevermore. That's Isaiah. Now let's look at Luke again, verse 31 through 33. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. Sound familiar? And you shall name him Jesus. He will be great, be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Do you hear the similarity in those two passages of Scripture? 700 years. And they were not easy years for the people uh, that called themselves the people of God. They were, they were not easy years in between the time of Isaiah and the time of 
Mary and Gabriel. Uh, That period of time, by the way, is what is referred to as the intertestamental period. Uh, Scholars refer to it as the intertestamental period. It is the time from from when the last book of the Old Testament was written until the time of the New Testament. Okay, that's called the intertestamental, between the two testaments, the Old Testament, New Testament, was a period of roughly 400 years. For roughly 400 years, God had been silent. Now, when I say that God had been silent, what I mean is, is that God had not given the people any kind of new revelation. That they still had his word, they still had the promises of God, but there had been no new prophet to come on the scene and and announce, thus says the Lord. And so not only was it a time where God wasn't really announcing anything new, but it was a tough time for the people. They had, been, they had been pushed around and conquered by various empires based on their, their own, by the way, their own rebellion against God. But the Assyrian Empire had come along and conquered them and the Babylonian Empire came along and conquered them and the Medo-Persian Empire came along and conquered them. Eventually, some of the people were allowed to to go back into the land. But even once they started coming back into the land, even when Israel began to be established again, still it was was one group of people uh, uh, having control over them or another group of people. The Ptolemy Empire that came out of Egypt, they they had control for a while. And then Alexander the Great came along and the Greek Empire and he had control for a a while. And and, and now it was the biggest and the baddest of them all. The Roman Empire uh, came down and took control of all of it. 700 years have passed. I suspect that some of the people had long since forgotten the promise, don't you? Would you have? Some of the people may have known that the promise was there, but I wondered if they even really still believed that it could happen. I suspect that there was a, I suspect there was a whole lot of something like this going on. Well, God may be around, but if he is, I don't think he cares much. I don't see much what he's doing. He may have promised that the light of the world was going to come, but from my perspective, from where I stand, it's pretty dark. By the way, does that sound familiar in your life at times? God keeps his promises, ladies and gentlemen. One of the things that it says to us when, we, when the 700-year period comes to pass and, and, and Gabriel shows up in Mary's house and he makes this announcement to Mary, what it says to us is that God is able to keep his promises it doesn't matter how much time passes, doesn't matter what goes on, doesn't matter what you've experienced or what you're going through, God keeps his promises. Um, a little over 20 years ago, there was an earthquake in uh, Armenia, the country of Armenia, a devastating earthquake. It, uh, from what I only lasted about four minutes, but uh, basically leveled a good part of that world, that country, in four minutes. 30,000 people killed just like that from the earthquake. I read several years ago in about, about a, an account of an event that occurred. Uh, a man in a, in a village in some town uh, that, is, that no sooner than the, than the vibration from the earthquake ceased that he took off uh, to, down to the school where his little boy attended school to, to see if his little boy was okay. And when he got there, his heart just sank because the school was just, there was nothing left. It was demolished. It was in rubble. 
But the father had made this promise to his son. As the story was told, the father had always promised his son that no matter what, he would be there for him. I will be there for you no matter what. And spurred on by that promise, this, this father began to get down on his hands and knees and he began to just move rubble and move, lift up rocks and roll boulders out of the way and, and stones and debris. And other, other parents began to arrive and, and they were sobbing. And, and as the story goes, they, they're just saying to him in anguish, stop, stop, almost as if he was, he was disturbing their burial place. Can't you see there's no hope? Can't you see that they're all dead? But he just kept digging. They said that even the police told him that it was worthless, it was useless, there was no sense, there was nothing left. There's no way that they could be alive. But he kept digging for eight hours. He dug for 12, for 16, for 24 hours, for 32 hours. This guy, there's no, his, his hands are raw. His energy is zapped. For 36 hours, he dug. For 38 hours, he dug. And finally, after 38 hours, he heard a noise. He heard a sound, a voice, and he called out his son's name, Armand. And then he heard Armand say, it's me, dad, I'm here. And then his son added these precious words. I told the other children that you would come for me, father. I told them that if you were alive, you would come for me because you promised, you promised you would always be there. If that is true for a father driven by his love for a son, a father who, while, while going beyond what would almost seem humanly possible, a father who did have human limitations. If that's true of him, how much truer is that of a God who has no limitations when he makes promises to us? Second Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 20, for every one of God's promises is yes in him. Would you read that out loud with me, please, this morning? Say it. For every one of God's promises is yes in him. Say it again. For every one of God's promises is yes in him. If it doesn't offend you too much or if you're able to do it, I want you to, to say it loud. You don't have to shout it, but I want you to say it loud. For every one of God's promises is yes in him. Say it again. For every one of God's promises is yes in him. What has God promised you? You can go to his word. You can find these promises that he gives you. Promises like peace and hope and joy and security and assurance and confidence and, and strength and forgiveness and eternal life. The announcement of grace reminds us, ladies and gentlemen, that God is able to keep his promises. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what all is happening. But I can tell you, if God has promised it, and we'll talk more about what all is involved in this, but if God has promised us, you can be assured of this, God is able to meet his promises. Now, here's another idea to look at this morning. The announcement of grace shows us that God can get it done. He has a design. He keeps his promises. And he keeps his promises because he can get it done. Let's look at verse uh, 34 and following. Listen to this. Listen to this. This is good. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. For that reason, the holy child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. 
I was thinking about something uh, when I was working on this text that I, that I don't know that I'd ever thought of before. And, and that, that's this. Why would Mary ask the question that she asks? Why would Mary say to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? Now, I know what you're thinking. Duh! Because she's a virgin. She's wondering how she's going to have a baby if she's a virgin. But think about this. Why wouldn't Mary assume that her and Joseph were going to have this child? I mean, if she's, she's engaged, she's betrothed to this man, Joseph. He's, he's gone off to prepare a house for her. He's going to come back. They're going to consummate their marriage. They're going to have this life together. They're going to raise children together. Why wouldn't, from, from a natural standpoint, why wouldn't Mary just assume that her and Joseph were going to have this child? The, the fact that, that the angel tells her that he's going to name him Jesus, well, to us, that was Jesus, son of God. Well, Jesus was a very common name in Mary's day. Yeshua in the Hebrew. It, it, the English translation would be Joshua. There were lots of Jesuses around back then. So why would Mary just assume, okay, he's, he's just telling us that I'm going to have a baby now and that baby's going to be king over Israel. Here's the difference. Here's what I'm trying to get at. I think the reason Mary almost automatically asks that question is because of something that's very, very important for our lives. Mary is thinking eternally, not temporally. Mary is thinking from God's perspective, so to speak, and not from our perspective. That's why she asked the question. Mary seems to understand. All the way back in verse 29, we saw in verse 29 where it says, but she was greatly troubled at the statement when he tells it to her. She's greatly troubled and kept pondering. The verb pondering there basically means to, to, uh, to think through, to analyze. Mary's thinking about this. What, what, what does this mean? Mary seems to get this idea, and, and the reason she gets it, I believe, is because she's thinking, again, eternally. She's thinking from that perspective instead of from our human temporal perspective. And so Mary seemed to know. Maybe Mary even made the connection between what Isaiah had said 700 years before and what Gabriel was now saying to her. I don't know. What I do know is that Mary knew that this child was significant. This child was special. This child was not natural but supernatural. So Mary's question is not a question of doubt. Mary's question is a question of faith. She doesn't doubt that God's going to do what, she's going to, what he's going to do. She's just wondering how he's going to do it. And in response, here we go. In response, God instructs Gabriel to, Gabriel to tell her that God is able to do anything. God can get it done even to the point of making a virgin conceive without the biological mechanism that's needed for conception, a.k.a. sex, that God can simply supernaturally, and doesn't even stop there. That would have been, that's, that's, that's enough, right? I mean, that's a pretty big one, but it doesn't even stop there. It says, not only that, your, your relative Elizabeth, who's, who's well beyond child, childbearing years, she's pregnant. God's saying to Mary, Mary, I can get it done. You know, I, I, can, I can get it done. You know, I think it's interesting that, um, that God uses, think about this, that God uses two extremes to bring two babies into the world. John the Baptist, 
who would be the forerunner of Jesus to, to announce the coming of the Messiah and to make the people's hearts ready to turn them back to God. John the Baptist would be born through a natural process. His parents had a sexual relationship and she became pregnant, but Elizabeth was well past childbearing years. The implication being that she's already been through menopause and yet she becomes pregnant. There's a miracle right there. <laughs> I know what some of y'all women are thinking right now. I know what y'all are thinking. But, but he, he says she, she's going to have a baby. And then he goes to the other extreme with this young maiden, this virgin. He says, I, I can, I, Mary, I, I can cause you to conceive without any natural process. I can just do that. Why? Because I'm God. I'm just God and I can get it done. That's what God does. He gets it done. I was thinking about that. I was thinking about, you know, my life and, and all the different places. And I, so many of them I've shared, I become a broken record sometimes, I, I think. But I've shared so many times in so many different ways that God has gotten it done in my life. And I, and I was thinking about, I was thinking about Cross Culture Church. Um, in, in 2007, uh, when I resigned from the church in Durham where I'd pastored for a little over eight years, I did so with the knowledge that God had laid something on my heart uh, about a, a new idea about a church. Uh, a, a, new, a new church that maybe looked at it, it, the way it operated from, from, from what I felt like was a very biblical position in the way it operated and the way it, what it did and what it, what it didn't do. And, and, and I was thinking about all of this stuff that was in, involved in that and I, and I knew that God had laid this thing on my heart and I just felt very strongly about a, about a church that, that, was, that would be culturally relevant to, to engage the culture around them with the message of the, of the cross a church that could develop a culture within itself that was based not on personal preferences, what I like, you like, she likes, they like, but based instead on denying of self and focusing on the kingdom of God and the building of the kingdom of God. And I, I just knew God had laid this thing on my heart. What I didn't know was how in the world God was going to do that. How was God going to do it? But God is doing it. God is doing it. Look, and I was thinking, I was just smiling this week. I was thinking, about, look, look at you. Look, look around. Look at you. Look. You, this church didn't even exist three years ago. It did, didn't even exist. And, and yet we have, we have been able to engage our culture in ways that, I, quite honestly, I never dreamed or thought that I would we'd be able to see happen. I was thinking, you know, they were, we're running... 50, 60, 70 kids in our C2 Kids ministry now every week that are hearing about the message of Jesus. If we don't, if we don't catch, catch up to them, we're going to be swapping places with them probably because they just, and I just, we're, we're reaching people from various backgrounds and various nationalities. Mike Young, who, who serves as our mission pastor here, is already uh, planning for 2012 for some international mission work for us and possibly in places like Toronto, uh, Canada. Lima, Peru, Haiti, in the next year. We're, we're finding new ways to engage our culture around us all the time. Do you know that the, the vice principal, I don't know if I told you this or not, the vice principal of this school told me earlier this year that he's had at least four other churches or prospective church plants contact him this year alone about wanting to get into this facility. And the reason they want to get in here is because they... They know, they, they can see, they can do the demographic work that there's almost 200,000 people within a five-mile radius of this school. 
and that this is a perfect location in which to launch an offensive against the enemy, ladies and gentlemen, and engage in the work of the kingdom. And God can get it done. Look at this past description in Job 42. I know that you can do anything, and no one can stop you. The prophet Jeremiah said this in Jeremiah 32. O sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power. Nothing. Nothing's too hard for you. Jesus himself in Matthew 19, Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. You say that last part with me? But with God, everything is possible. I don't know what it is that God might be laying on your heart or leading you to do or asking you to be a part of. But what I am asking you is, are you, have you been willing to engage in that? What's the part that you're, that you're just not quite been willing to believe God for? Maybe he's asking you to take on a life group and you just don't think you, you've got the knowledge or you don't think you've got what it takes to do it. Maybe he's asking you to, to believe him about finding a mate for you and, and you, just, you, just don't, you just don't know whether you can trust him for that. Maybe it's your finances, maybe it's, maybe it's your time, maybe, I don't know what all it is. But ladies and gentlemen, God can get it done. He keeps his promises and he can get it done. Now, here's where we wrap it up. One final idea. Before we move on, if you listen to God's voice and you walk in God's path, you will see God's hand. I, I, I couldn't even wait. I posted that on Facebook last night before I went to bed uh, just because I was just, as I put on Facebook, I'm warming, I was warming up for today. Uh, it, I, I've just experienced this so many times in my life. And that's not to say that I get it right all the time, but I'm just telling you, ladies and gentlemen, if you, if you listen to God's voice and you walk in God's path, you will see God's hand. You will see him move in the areas of your life that you didn't even think were possible. There's, oh, there's no way God could ever make it possible for me to do this. Or, or God could never, could never uh, accomplish that in my life. Why don't you try it? Why don't you just try God? But, and this is a big but, no, no jokes, please. Here's the last idea. The announcement of grace shows us that God wants our surrender and, in fact, requires it if you want to see God's design and see God's promises and see God do it. Got to be a little something called surrender in your life. Verse 38, again, says this. And Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And the bond slave of the Lord. I think it's New American Translation. Uh, King James, a handmaiden. Bible commentator Warren Wiersbe says it, is the, it was the lowest form of servant in the house. Notice God doesn't declare Mary to be that. Mary declares to be that. Mary says, I want to be that person. It is an astounding thing. This is perhaps the greatest or one of the greatest examples of surrender that you find in all of the Bible. From this young Jewish girl who grew up in very meager means, as I said last week, a nobody from nowhere as far as the world was concerned, but there's no such thing as far as God is concerned. And she says, may it be done to me. You know, what's interesting to me is what you don't hear Mary saying. No, no, no contracts to sign, no negotiations to make. 
No deals. Well, God, if you'll, if you'll let me do this, then I'll, I'll do this. Or God, if you'll, you know, then this will... Nothing, nothing, nothing but complete, absolute, total, unconditional surrender. May it be done to me as according to your word. Folks, that's what God wants out of our lives. I heard about a pastor that ran into a guy that, that he knew. I can't remember, his, maybe his wife went to church, but, but this pastor knew that this, that this man didn't go to church, didn't have anything to do with church or anything like that. And so the pastor said, uh, Jim, uh, when are you going to become part of the, the Lord's army? And Jim responded and he said, well, I am part of the Lord's army. And the pastor said, well, you are. Well, how come I never see you in church? And Jim said, well, that's because I'm part of the secret service. <laughs> no, no. There's no such thing as the secret service in the Lord's army, folks. It's total and absolute and complete surrender to him. What is it that you've been unwilling to surrender to him in your life? Because whatever it is, can I say this to you as lovingly as I can? That is the very thing that is keeping you from experiencing the fullness of God's design and promises in your life. It's, it's as I've told people before, you've got to go back a few years if you all may not know this, but who I'm referring to, but God's not Monty Hall and this is not let's make a deal. God is the Lord God Almighty who has sacrificed his son so that you might inherit eternal life, that you might adopt it into the family of God, that he might reveal to you his design and keep his promises, but he needs you to give him your life. Oh, I've been saved. I, I asked Jesus into my heart. Okay. I'm not, that's, but have you surrendered Do you understand what it is to truly give your life to Christ, to surrender to Him? I'm going to say something that uh, may sound shocking coming from a pastor, but this is is in my book. Um, God doesn't want your service. God doesn't want your service. God wants your surrender. Do you understand what I mean by that? Do you understand what I mean? Because a lot of people think about their relationship to God and correct me if I'm wrong, you know, maybe you say, oh, no, nobody thinks this way. I think almost everybody thinks this way. They think about their relationship to God in terms of what I can do for God. Well, I can, I can serve God in the children's ministry once a month. Well, I could serve on a setup team twice a month. Well, I, I, I could, I could uh, uh, maybe uh, take on a life group or maybe I could, I could tithe. I'm sorry, but that's not good enough. Not for your creator. Well... Yeesh, what does God want? He wants you. He wants you. He wants you. He doesn't want your talents. He doesn't want your gifts. He doesn't want your abilities. He doesn't want your money. He wants you. He wants you to surrender. By the way, if he gets your surrender, the service and everything else will just fall in place. But that's what God wants. I promise you, God has a design. That's, that's at least part of the message that, that we get from, from this announcement to Mary. And I can tell you this, he will keep his promises. Listen to me. Businesses will break promises. Corporations will break promises. Governments will break promises. Sometimes even spouses or family members can break promises. God never breaks his promises. 
He can get it done. There is nothing too difficult for him. There is nothing he cannot accomplish in your life. But you got to surrender. What's the area? What's the struggle? Maybe you don't even know. Maybe you haven't even thought about it. Just take some time. That's all I'm asking you to do. As we, as we pull the curtain on the end of one year and we're about to jump out into another one. I mean, the next time we meet on a Sunday morning, ladies and gentlemen, it'll be 2012. Maybe this is a good time to ask ourselves that question. Am I surrendered? Not just serving, but surrendered. And if I'm not, what is standing in my way? Mary listened to the Word of God. She responded to the Spirit of God. Therefore, she was able to be used by the power of God to accomplish the will of God in her life. What would it take to see the same thing happen in our lives? Thanks, Pastor. That's certainly a message the world needs to hear today. With so much uncertainty today, it's good to be reminded that God is able to get it done in our lives, whatever it is we need. But as Pastor Clay said, it requires complete surrender on our part. Those were some pretty sobering words that Pastor Clay shared with us. God doesn't want our service. He wants our surrender. The great thing is, as we heard today, when we surrender to God, it means victory for us. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sundays at 1030 at Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.